We continue now with the discussion of the Maha Sakali Dai Sutta. <coughs> and last time we had finished the discussion of the 37 Bodhi Pakyadamas, that is the 37 aids to enlightenment. And actually these 37 Bodhi Pakyadamas form a kind of complete system of practice within themselves. And once one takes all of the Bodhi Pakyadamas together and examines them analytically, then one could see that the entire practice of the Dhamma, right up even to the stage of Arahatship, is comprised within those 37 factors. From the, one could take any any of the seven sets, the four foundations of mindfulness, the four right kinds of striving, the four bases of spiritual power, right up to the Noble Eightfold Path, and all of them lead right up to the final goal, to Arahatship. And so when we come to discuss other types of practice that are explained in the rest of the Sutta, one shouldn't think that somehow the 37 Bodhipakyadamas are incomplete and that they have to be supplemented and completed by these other types of practice. But rather, we could say perhaps that these other types of practice form different self-contained systems and one can approach the final goal through any one of these different systems. And in fact, if one, one is practicing any of these systems, within that system one has to be developing the 37 Bodhi Pakyadamas. Okay, so now we come to the next, let's call it a system of practice. And this is a system called the Eight Liberation, Atta Vimokta. And these states are called liberations, not because they are themselves the state of Nibbana or real Vimuti, a final deliverance, but rather these are kind of temporary, just temporary liberations of the mind. And they're called liberations because when the mind goes into these states, then just temporarily and provisionally it is freed from certain obstructive conditions, from certain mental impediments, and it's released into the object. It becomes totally immersed or absorbed in the object. And these eight liberations are actually stages within the domain, at least the first seven are stages within the scale of Samadha meditation or Samadhi meditation. So within the eight liberations one doesn't actually find a system or method of Vipassana meditation. But I think by the mention of the eighth liberation which requires the development of Vipassana then one can say that Vipassana is involved sort of implicitly at least when one has the whole eight as a set. And some of the, especially the first two or three liberations, the actual original meaning, I have to say, <laughs> it's rather obscure, and there's no explanation of these terms or of these um, statements within the Sutta Viteka itself. No full elaboration of what is meant. And so one has to really, in this case, I have to say, depend on what the commentaries say about them. But in fact, we do find that the first two liberations, or actually the first three liberations, seem to be expanded and elaborated by the next system that we'll come to, which is called the Eight Bases for Transcendence. So, I'll just treat them very briefly here, then when we come to the Eight Bases of Transcendence, then we'll see what they mean in detail, or how they are analyzed in detail. Okay, the first is stated 
in Pali it's Ajitang Rupa Sanyi Rupani Pasati which I'm sorry it's Rupi Rupani Pasati which means possessed of material form literally possessed of material form one sees form this is the first liberation And then the second is Arupa Sanyi Rupani Pasati, or Ajitan Arupa Sanyi Rupani Pasati, which is translated here not perceiving form internally, one sees forms externally. This is the second liberation. Now these two go together as a pair, and it seems that the sense of the first liberation. This is at least based on the explanation of the commentary, is that one begins with a form as an object. It's a kind of state of samadhi or concentration which is developed using a particular colored form as an object in which one takes the colored form from one's own physical body or perhaps from a physical body of somebody that one sees. And one is developing a color casino or a color a meditation on a colored expanse and one will take the color from one's own body. For example, um, if one is developing the meditation on the color blue, then one might take, if somebody has blue-black hair, one might use that blue-black hair as an object of concentration. Or if one is doing the meditation on the color red, one might take the color of the blood and one uses that as the object. And then one develops concentration upon that form derived from one's own body until one is able to see the form within one's meditative vision. And that form will arise, I guess, by as eventually as a nimitta, as a kind of colored, inwardly visualized object. And then one develops concentration upon that colored, ob- colored object up to the level of the rupa jhanas, the form jhanas. Then the second um, liberation also uses a colored form as the object, but in this case one doesn't take the form from one's own physical body or from any other physical body, but one uses some kind of inanimate object to get the color. With blue it's easier, one might take the blue of the sky or the blue of a flower and one focuses upon that colored expanse as blue or one might take the red of a flower and use that as the object until one is able to see forms as though they were external within this meditative vision as a nimitta. And in these first two liberations the form of the quality of the color is not perfect but it's somewhat tainted and um, not really bright or radiant and luminous. But in the third liberation, it is said one is resolved only upon the beautiful, and this is the third liberation. There's no other elaboration of of these terms, to my knowledge, within the Sutta Vitaka itself, but as we will see in the next section on the eight basis of transcendence, it seems that what is intended here is a meditative absorption in which the nimitta or the object is an extremely beautiful colored form. And all the imperfections of the color have been expunged and the form, the color, it's very bright radiant and beautiful. (coughs) Okay, now 
we could find some indication of what is meant by the first three liberations when we come to the fourth. Because the fourth begins with the formula for the first formless absorption, the base of the infinity of space. And before that, the Buddha has not mentioned the jhanas, but because in the fourth place he mentions the formless attainments, we can draw the inference that the first three liberations are actually different modes of the four jhanas, the four rupa jhanas or form jhanas. Except here the jhanas are not divided up into levels like the first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, fourth jhana, but rather I think we could understand that all four jhanas can be incorporated at any of these three at the level of the, any of these three liberations. The jhanas are not distinguished by way of their you know, level of intensity, whether first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, fourth jhana, but rather they're distinguished according to the nature of the object, how they um, what is the object upon which these jhanas are based. If one develops the, any of the four jhanas using a material form, a visible form, which is derived from one's own body, but which is somewhat tainted or imperfect, then it's the first liberation. If one uses a visible form derived from a purely external object, then it's the second liberation. And if one develops jhana on a very beautiful colored form, then it is the third liberation. Okay, so now the next four liberations are the four formless attainments, the arupa jhanas. We've gone over these formulas several times, but we'll just review concisely here. With the complete surmounting of perceptions of form, with the disappearance of perceptions of sensory impact, with non-attention to perceptions of difference, aware that space is infinite, one enters upon and abides in the base of infinite space. So what happens is that the meditator using or developing any of the first three liberations will develop the four jhanas based upon his particular object. Then after he masters that jhana to the point where he can achieve it for any length of time without any difficulty or impediment, then at a certain point, if he wishes to go into the formless attainments, he stops paying attention to the visible form of the colored object. But rather, he just attends to the space which is occupied by the colored object. And so it's a kind of pulling away the colored form, which is the object of these lower jhanas. And at a certain point, when all of the skills and faculties are mature enough, then the colored object will disappear, and all that is left is space. And one will go on attending to space until the space is perceived as infinite. Then to go to the next level, one is no longer, after one masters the base of infinite space, then one no longer attends to the space externally, but rather one focuses the attention on that consciousness, the mind, which is aware of space. 
These are rather abstract, very abstract objects, and I mean, I can speak about them, but um, we just have to sort of guess what, what the actual experience would be like. Okay, then to go from the base of infi- from infinite consciousness to the next attainment, the base of nothingness. Now one has this state in which consciousness or the mind is extended apparently infinitely. But when one tries to find the mind, to find it as something substantial, some kind of entity, when one looks for it, then one doesn't find anything. But it seems to be just void, empty, almost non-existent to some kind of substantial entity on which one can focus and fix. And so when one just attends to this void aspect or empty aspect of infinite consciousness, the base of infinite consciousness, then in time, when one's faculties are mature, then one passes into this third formless attainment called the base of nothingness. And then, well, (laughs) the description for the next one, it seems that there's no indication of exactly what is to be attended to to enter it, because it's so subtle, it's a state of absorption which is so subtle, so refined, that one can't even perceive it as something distinct and yet there seems to be some perception there and so one can say it's a state of non-perception. So for this reason it's called the base of neither perception nor non-perception. This is the ultimate final point in the scale of samadhi or mental one-pointedness. But then the Buddha mentions an eighth liberation which cannot be achieved only by the practice of samatha meditation alone. This is called sanya vedayata niroda, which means the cessation of perception and feeling. This is a meditative state in which even the subtlest type of perception the subtlest type of feeling, all mental activity whatsoever comes to a stop, comes to an end. And according to the text, this state can only be entered by anagamis and arahants who have mastered the first seven liberations. First one has to master the base of neither perception nor non-perception, then when one wants to enter the state of Nirodha Samapati, what one has to do, <laughs> and unless one is an Anagami and Arahant, then don't try it when you go back, is one enters the first jhana, then one contemplates that jhana with insight as impermanent suffering non-self until one can discern the three characteristics in it very clearly. Then one enters the second jhana, remains in it for some time, comes out, then contemplates it with insight, anicca, dukkha, anatta. And so on one goes through one jhana after another till one comes up to the base of nothingness, the akinchanyayata. Then one abides for some time in the base of nothingness, then one comes out from it and contemplates that, anicca, dukkha, anatta. Then one makes a mental resolution that one is, wants to enter a determination, aditana, what that one wants to enter the base that one wants to enter the cessation of perception and feeling and one determines how long one wants to stay in that. 
maybe five minutes, ten minutes, maybe an hour, and in principle it's possible to stay in that even for seven days. And the way it's described for months, when it's supposed to make the determination that if there's to be a meeting of the Sangha at that time and one's presence is needed, one will automatically come out from the state in order to attend the meeting. And one makes the determination that you have one, one's bowl and robes with one and that nobody should be able to steal it during that period. And there are several other determinations like that. Okay, then one, after making these determinations, then one makes the determination, now I will enter Niroda Samapati, the cessation of perception and feeling. Then the mind will go first into the base of neither perception nor non-perception, just for a few states of consciousness. And then after, I think it's two or three states of consciousness in the base of neither perception nor non-perception, then the entire mental activity stops and comes to an end. And then the mind is just, it seizes the whole mental activity. Then when the predetermined time is up, whether it's five minutes, ten minutes, one hour, a whole day, a whole week, then one comes out of that state. And it's said, um, just in the commentaries, that when one comes out, first, when the mind emerges, or when one emerges from cessation of perception and feeling, the mind goes into the fruition attainment. If one is an anagami, one goes into the fruition of non-returning, just for a few turns of consciousness, then one comes back into normal consciousness. If it's an arahant, then the mind will go into a few moments of the fruition attainment of arahantship. Then it will come out back to the level of normal consciousness. Anyway, these are very, very high, very subtle attainments. <coughs> But they're mentioned here as part of the system of the eight liberations. Okay, now we'll come to the next system of practice, which I have to say, the details of this have really just fallen out from, well, from the Theravada Buddhist tradition and I think from every Buddhist tradition. Just nobody speaks about them as methods of practice that one can undertake and I don't know meditators who speak about them as being actual methods of practice which they are undergoing <coughs> and so really for some kind of elaboration I think one just has to use either conjecture or the commentaries. Okay, and this is called the Eight Bases of Transcendence or the eight bases of overcoming, you say, bases of victory. And as we examine these, I think you'll see that they seem to be a sort of more minute analysis of the first three of the eight liberations. Okay, the first is Perceiving form internally, one sees form externally. That really sounds almost exactly like um, like the first liberation. In this case, one sees forms externally, and the forms are limited, fair, and ugly. Then by transcending them, one perceives thus, I know, I see. I think as the commentary explains this, what this means is that one gains an object or one picks up an object for developing meditative absorption, jhana, on a colored object by taking a color from one's own physical body. And so one will use 
for a blue, to get a blue color, one might take the blue of the eyes, the yellow color, maybe the color of skin, um, the red color, the color of blood, the white might be the white of the eyes, white of skin, white of bone. And then one concentrates on that colored object until the colored form appears externally. But in this case, the colored form, the first one, will be limited in extent. Just maybe a small circle of, of color. And sometimes the color will be luminous and bright, but other times it will be faded, faint, defective, tainted. Then, as one goes on concentrating on that colored object, the nimitta, there comes a point where one is able to enter the jhana, the absorption on that color. And then one perfects that skill until one can enter the absorption instantly and automatically without very much struggle or difficulty. And that is called when one is able to enter quickly just according to one's will, then it becomes a base of transcendence. Okay, so that is the first base of transcendence. The second one is exactly the same, except in this case, the colored form, instead of being small and limited in extent, it's extended so that it becomes measureless, or extending everywhere. In the third case, Okay, so these first two bases of transcendence are just two, it seems to me to be two variants on the first liberation. In one case, the object is limited, the other is measureless. Then the next two bases of transcendence seem to be just two variations on the second liberation. Maybe we could... Okay, so in the case of the third base for transcendence, one just gets the colored form as the object instead of deriving it from one's own body, one takes it from some external object. In one case, the form is limited. In the second case, it's measureless, extended. Okay, then coming to the fifth, a base of transcendence. In this case, one has as the object very beautiful colored forms. And they're external forms, not derived from one's body. It seems when one takes the form from the body, then it always has this tendency sometimes to be fair, sometimes to be ugly. But when one takes an external form, like the color of the sky, color of flowers, trees, then one can derive from that very beautiful colored objects. And so the basis of transcendence five, six, seven, eight, they're just um, beautiful forms of different colors. In the case of the fifth, it's a beautiful blue object, a blue light just like the blue flax flower or cloth from Benares of blue color. <coughs> then the, the sixth one is yellow color, seventh is red color, and the eighth is white color. And these types of um, the meditations of the eight bases of mastery, they lead only to the four jhanas. They're exclusively types of 
samadhi meditation, samatha meditation, and they lead only with, to the rupa jhana. They're not methods of insight meditation. They don't even lead by themselves. They don't bring the arupa jhana. Okay, then the next sort of system of practice is called the Ten Casinas. And these actually seem to be not really so different from the bases of mastery or the um, the vimokas. Actually, they're means for developing the vimokas. The casina, it's generally, it's a kind of disc or a special device used and constructed as an object of concentration. It's Generally, one will deliberately construct a particular device and set it up in one's meditation quarters and use it as a focusing point for developing samadhi, developing concentration. In the paradigm case explained in the Visuddhimagga is the earth casino, patavi casino. In this case, one will prepare a particular disc and fill it with smooth earth and one sets it up in front of oneself at a particular distance where one can focus upon it comfortably then one sits down in the meditation posture and just stares at the object focusing upon it and just developing the thought earth, earth, earth sort of driving the mind into that object until at a certain point a, what's called a nimitta will arise that is a colored and inwardly visualized representation of the object at the first stage the nimitta is what is called a ugaha nimitta which means the learning sign or the acquired sign <coughs> the first sign is called the Ugahanimitta, the learning sign or the quiet sign. And this is like an inwardly visualized representation of the casino object that one can see just as clearly or almost as clearly as that original casino object itself. Then as one goes on, when the one is able to arouse the acquired sign, then one doesn't have to rely upon the external object itself anymore. But one can just maybe sort of take off or begin the meditation session with the actual earth casino. But once the acquired sign arises visually in one's inward vision, then one doesn't have to attend anymore to the external earth casino. But one just goes on attending to this visualized image of earth, earth, earth. And then eventually at a certain point when the concentration becomes deep enough, then there will arise out of the Ugaha Nimitta. Or one could say the Ugaha Nimitta will become transformed into what is called the counterpart sign, the Pati Bhaga Nimitta. This is a sign, this object is supposed to be much more bright, luminous, and radiant than the acquired sign. It's said that this is like the acquired sign is said to be like when you see the moon on a cloudy night and the moon is behind a light cloud, then the moon is just seen rather faintly. But when the Patibhaganimitta arises, that is like when the cloud is blown away by the wind and then the full moon comes out shining very bright and luminous. And then when one continues the process of concentration 
based on that pati bhagani mitta, that will eventually lead into jhana. It's sometimes thought that the arising of the pati bhagani mitta, that that means the attainment of jhana, but that's not correct according to the method of the like the Visuddhimagga and the commentaries. Rather, the when the Patibhagani Mitta emerges, that means the attainment of what is called access concentration, Upachara Samadhi. But once the Patibhagani Mitta arises, then one has to go on strengthening the faculty of concentration. And as one does so, then the particular set of mental factors called the jhana factors, they will become strengthened until jhana arises. But we'll come to that a little later when we take up the jhanas. Here we're just speaking about the kasinas. And so the first kasina, the one that's used as the sort of basic model for explaining the system of meditation, is the earth casino and for beginning practitioners it's recommended that one constructs a kind of circular disc filled with clay or mud which will represent the earth later it's said that when one becomes very skilled in this all one has to do <laughs> is if one is sitting in meditation one can just look down at a field where the soil has been turned up then one immediately gets that impression of earth, then one just turns the mind to earth, and one can enter into samadhi based on the earth casino. Okay, then the next casino is called the water casino. This is a body of water used as an object of concentration. Generally, when one is doing this in the preliminary stages, one might take a bowl or large cup, but one need a bowl, a nice big bowl, and fill it with water, and then one just fixes the mind on this thinking, perceiving it, water, 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 until one gets the image or the impression of water. With the fire casino, here it's a little more difficult, one doesn't have a very neat um, <coughs> circular disc of fire that one can use. It's explained that the way to gain the fire casino is to have a fire built, a fire made with a kind of blockade in front of it, like a barrier. And then one has a circle cut in that barrier so that one could see the fire through the circle and that way one gets the impression of fire but I would imagine that one can if one practices cautiously one might even use the flame of a candle as an object for gaining the fire casino I don't think it really has to be circular but one should be somewhat cautious not to st stare at the fire too long because I think it might damage, cause some damage to the eyes. So one should, if one is developing the fire casino, just look at the flame just for a few minutes till one gets an image of the fire, then try to visualize it inwardly. Then one can open the eyes again, again get a visual image of fire, or get an external impression of the fire, then visualize it inwardly. The air casino, <laughs> I have to say, it's explained in some way in the Visuddhi Magga. I've never understood <laughs> how it could be a suitable object of concentration. So I'll just draw a blank on that and skip over it. Okay, then the um, blue casino, yellow casino, red casino, white casino, these will just be discs which are painted the particular color that one wants. Generally, they recommend beginning with the blue casino because it has a more, pe or the white casino since it has a more peaceful and calming quality. The red and yellow can be somewhat exciting. But maybe for those who have 
maybe a sluggish temperament, a somewhat um, quiet temperament. Maybe for those people, the red or yellow casino will be suitable. But for most people who tend to be rather, at the beginning, restless and somewhat agitated, then the blue casino has this calming and peaceful quality, whereas the white casino, well, it seems to be good for certain temperaments, the white casino. Then in the Sutta method of explaining the eighth and ninth casino, it said that the eighth casino, the space casino, is actually the same as the base of the infinity of space, and the consciousness casino is the same as the base of the infinity of consciousness. That that is actually the first and second, the objects of the first and second formless attainment. So here we have eight objects used as a basis for the Rupa Jhanas and two objects, the last two, used as the basis for the Arupa Jhanas. And you notice that in the formula in the Sutta, the Buddha says for each casino, he says one contemplates the earth casino and so on above, below, and across, undivided, and immeasurable. And what this means is that first, when one develops the preliminary stage of this concentration, then one will have, the casino will appear in the stages of the nimitta, even the patibhaga nimitta, it appears as just a limited object, a small circle. But in order to perfect this meditation, then one, after one achieves jhana based on the limited casino, then one has to extend the casino till one can extend it to the east, west, north, south, above and below, and even extend it out infinitely so that it just seems that the casino object is covering the whole universe. In this way one could extend the earth, the image of earth, so that it seems that the whole universe is just full of this quality of earth. Or if it's the water casino, then one could ex ex extend that image of water until the whole universe is suffused with the sense of being liquid or watery, similarly with fire, air, or any of the colors. In this way it becomes okay, an infinite object. Okay, maybe we'll stop the explanation at this point. Um, if there are any questions on this, this material, so if you think that it can be this, yeah. uh, if we say uh, uh, exclusively supramatic, supramatic, yeah. transcendental, whereas the whole bhakti dhammas may be more worldly rather than supramatic. No, I would say it's the opposite. I would say the bodhi bhakti dhammas at the beginning, they're mundane. Maybe you explain the reason why you think that the Bodhipakya Dhammas are mundane and these meditations are super mundane. What is the reason why you... So because uh, the Dhammas yeah. refer to abstract, absolute conditions yeah. or abstract yeah. conditions. Yeah. Which maybe, uh, I wouldn't describe them as super mundane, but they're definitely they're mo much more abstract than the Bodhipakya Dhammas. Actually, the foundation for the Bodhipakya Dhammas would be the four Satipatthanas, because one practices right effort and develops concentration, um, all the other factors arise out of the practice of the four Satipatthanas. And so here one is using something which is 
in a sense mundane, it's something very concrete, the body, feelings, states of mind, mental processes. But as one develops the bodhipakyadamas, then one is developing insight into them, developing panya, wisdom. And so as the bodhipakyadamas are developed through the leadership of that faculty of wisdom, of insight, eventually it will reach over from the mundane to Nibbana. It will penetrate into Nibbana. So in that way the Bodhipakyadamas lead directly into the supramundane. But these eight liberations, the eight bases of mastery, in themselves, I'd say their territory is mundane. The territory is the, just the jhanas and the formless attainments. But when one masters the jhanas through these practices, then one can use those jhanas as a basis for developing insight. And that way it will bring the supramundane, the realization of Nibbana. But in themselves, these objects, like the casino devices, the colored forms, they're rather abstract and you know, not as concrete and real as the four Satipatthanas, but in themselves they're not super-mundane in the sense of being Nibbanic or participating in Nibbana. So, Daniel Meditator has reached this breathing in the Nirodhi Samapati. Yeah. Is, uh, is breathing visible? In the Nirodhi Samapati there will be no breathing. The breath will stop, they say, even in the fourth jhana. So when one achieves the Nirodha Samapati, breath will stop, every kind of thought process will stop, and even any kind of mental activity. I don't think I've ever seen that question raised. It might just, <laughs> if one considers from the standpoint of normal physiology, one would say that it's impossible to stay without breathing for a week. But what I would think happens that maybe the breathing through the lungs is stopped, but maybe breathing activity through the skin must but increase. Are you in this I know this one should be very much then lower down to a really dead corpse, but it only nearly, so that a seed of, of warmth should be there. There has to be divine, warmth and vitality. But it should not be our kind of, uh, kind of uh, heartbeat and uh, I would say, yeah, uh, I, I, would, I would guess that the physiological process is be much, you know, much more subtle. Yeah, um, we use yeah, but definitely there has to be heat and vitality, otherwise there's no difference between the meditator or the dead body. In fact, there is that question comes up in one of the Majjhima Suttas, what is the difference between one who has entered the Nirodha Samapati and a dead body? And the difference is that in the dead body there's no more vital warmth, there's no more life faculty, and the sense faculties have broken up, whereas in one in the Rodasamapati, there's still vitality, there's still the well, there's still the life faculties, still the vital warmth, and the sense faculties become very refined, mm -hmm. very purified. I have another question. Now, this apokasin, if one perceives then the meditator perceives water yeah. all around, then. Uh, is that for him that means the percept perceptive object is water. Uh -huh. On that he could then uh, build up a, a, a reality for his own so that while being on the material ground, just on a stone, he might, he will perceive water and just swim more or less in space. Yeah. Because it, it, it is a, it, that is a ground for ED. Yeah, actually so that is so, that is exactly so, yeah. Uh, so because of his perception, yeah. he's able yeah. 
to swim in that element which is outwardly not conceivable by others. That is exactly so. In fact, that seems to be how one you one develops some of these like psychic powers or idies. One does it by developing the um, say in this case one wants to dive into the earth and swim in the earth. One will develop the jhanas based on the earth on the water casino. Then one somehow projects that perception of water onto the solid ground. And then for the, the meditator, somehow the solidity of the earth gets changed and it becomes the earth has a liquid quality, a watery quality. So then he can go swimming while people are watching how is this possible? He's swimming and <laughs> everybody else is obstructed. And one can you know, by projecting the earth casino into a body of water, then one makes it solid and so one could walk across the water while everybody else is um, <laughs> falling into the water. I was thinking of like the parable about Jesus Christ, how he uh, walked across the water. Yeah, he walked across the water. I think he must have meditated on the other casino. <laughs> I don't know that he would have actually, you know, deliberately developed the earth casino the way it's explained <laughs> in the Visuddhi Bhagavad <laughs> The Visuddhi Bhagavad was written in the fifth century, <laughs> but um, it's possible that he had some powers of samadhi so that he could, just through like a determination, he could have made a decision that the water should remain solid, and then through the, pow- the mental power of his mind, then the water would have become solid. But I, I tend to doubt that he would have... In the Isikiri Sutta, there is reference to uh, uh, walking in the rock. In the which? In and out, yes. Isikiri Sutta. Isikiri Sutta. The Buddha says that the... Um, Pacheka Buddhas used to walk in and out of that stone mountain. Anyway, that's one of the Indies, is to the ability to walk through walls and ramparts and fences and solid mountains as if it was just open space. Perhaps that comes by using, projecting the space casino. Yeah. Okay, so maybe we will stop for this evening, then continue and finish the sutra next time.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.